trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there, and welcome to the show. I am so glad you could find your way to this uh, little corner of wrong think amidst all the different platforms out there. Thanks for taking the time to click on this one. Thanks for taking the chance. I'm going to make it worth your while. So uh, our show is brought to you each weekday at this time by Landmark Risk Management and Insurance, as well as Rio del Sion Home Lots and Monticello College. Got a little link to all of my sponsors in the show notes, which you can find at thebrianhideshow.com. There's lots of good reading material. I would appreciate it if uh, you have need for what these sponsors have to offer, or you know somebody who does. Tell them about them. Please tell them that uh, their message is reaching your ears via this program. All right, so scrolling through the Twitter feed here a few minutes ago, and uh, here comes one. This one uh, I saw was posted by John Miltimore. John's one of the editors for the Foundation for Economic Education. Mr. Potato Head just got canceled. This is what dystopia looks like. And he has a screenshot of an Associated Press story. Mr. Potato Head is no longer a Mr. Hasbro, the company that makes the potato-shaped plastic toy, is giving the spud a gender-neutral new name, Potato Head. And that change will appear on boxes this year. Look, I, you know, I grew up with Mr. Potato Head. And um, forgive me for stating the obvious here, but wasn't one of the cool things about Mr. Potato Head was that he was infinitely adaptable. If you wanted to, you could make him look like J. Potato Head or Ms. Potato Head or, you know, any combination thereof. That was the cool thing about Mr. Potato Head was every part was interchangeable. But apparently, no, in in today's woke society, we are going to have to tow a new line. No more Aunt Jemima. No more Mr. Potato Head. Kind of makes me curious where this is uh, is going to be seen or where this is going to, to, to go. By the way, I did see a really funny meme the other day of someone with a, 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 one of the old school bottles of Aunt Jemima, you know, one of the old syrup bottles, and they're taking a brand new bottle of non-Aunt Jemima, Aunt Jemima syrup, and pouring it into the old bottle. And they're like, damn it, you will not deny me of my, my Aunt Jemima. That's the funny thing, though. I mean, come on. Isaac Newton talked about how for every action there is an equal and opposite what? Reaction. And so when people are pushing on you constantly, trying to force feed you and cause this forced submission, you will think this way. You will speak this way. You will only believe this way. I mean, they're so busy calling people names and you're bigoted. You're you're sexist. You're misogynistic. I wonder if it doesn't promote more intolerance on the part of those who are being accused. I mean, you treat somebody like a criminal long enough, don't be surprised if they start acting like a criminal. But of course, were they a criminal in the first place? No. So what do you do? Over the years, I've become very, uh, very fond of uh, Brandon 
Smith's writing. He has a great take on current events. He's very principled. I think he also has some pretty keen insight, meaning he is able to look at what's going on, add it up. And generally, I think he has a very plausible uh, prediction of this is where we seem to be heading. Not that he's in the business of making predictions. He's just he's saying, based on what I see, these are some of the things we should pay attention to. Well, here he has an article called How Societies Are Imprisoned. The whole world will one day be like Hollywood. Now, he says, I rarely write about Hollywood or the film industry, primarily because there's a vast array of analysts and YouTubers in the alternative media that discuss the bizarre behaviors and trespasses of Tinseltown on a daily basis. He says they usually have it covered. That said, every once in a while, he says, I find that events in Hollywood reflect a much more pervasive dynamic in our culture and that the bigger picture needs to be addressed. Now, he says, when I, I want to be clear, when I talk about Hollywood, I'm not only talking about uh, the place, I'm referring to the entire corporate empire. I'm including Netflix and other streaming companies that may not work entirely out of L.A. They're all funded and run by the same people anyway. He says Hollywood and the corporate cabal behind it have long sought to be the center of America's cultural universe. In other words, they are seeking to pervert the natural dynamic so that life imitates art instead of art imitating life. And if they control all the art, then they control people's perceptions of life. Now, the concept of manufacturing consent, posited by people like Noam Chomsky, plays a role here. But he says, I think it goes far beyond that. Rather, Hollywood not only seeks to manufacture consent from the public, but also to manufacture the public's relationship to reality. They don't just want us to keep our heads down and begrudgingly accept their ideological zealotry. He says they want us to believe their way is and always was the only way. Brandon Smith says what I see in the film industry and the corporate world in general today is complete and unfettered propaganda. We've moved beyond the phase of subversively hidden manipulations to a new stage where the propaganda has become blatant and aggressive. And he gives some examples here that I think really drive this point home. Almost every new movie and television series, not to mention most commercials, are rife with leftist distortions. You will be hard-pressed to find any content these days that doesn't push ideas like endless feminist platitudes, mentions of patriarchy and white privilege, ridiculous exaggerations of racism in America as if nothing has changed since the days of Jim Crow, oppression of women, rape culture, etc., as if all the tenets of first- and second-wave feminism have not already been accomplished depicting oppression of women where none actually exists. You'll also see women consistently portrayed as overtly masculine with traits and abilities that defy their their biology. Or men constantly portrayed as weak and feminine. You'll see masculinity, strength, competition, and merit portrayed as destructive, toxic, and outdated. Common feminine or positive feminine traits like nurturing, child rearing, homemaking are portrayed as obsolete or oppressive. You'll see forced and unrealistic diversity, which misrepresents the actual statistical racial makeup of the U.S. population and other Western nations. Here's another example of that saturation of gay and trans representation. A tiny percentage of the population is made to appear as if it's a vast movement that inhabits every person's daily experience. 
older generations are cast as confused and ignorant or removed from film and television entirely. Younger people portrayed as wise leaders cleaning up the messes of older generations, somehow blessed with extensive knowledge and experience by mere virtue of their youth. And history erased and rewritten to reflect modern leftist ideals. Now, Brandon Smith says, look, I could go on and on, but I think you get the idea. Representation in itself is not a bad thing, but when it becomes a weapon used to twist fundamental truths for political gain, well, then it's a problem. None of the concepts listed above are an accurate reflection of the Western world or human reality. Instead, they seek to make the outliers into the mainstream, and they seek to take normal human and biological and psychological standards and portray them as aberrant and wrong. Yes, he says there are cases where Hollywood is dabbling in fantasy and science fiction, and this could be used to rationalize some of their odd depictions. But that's not what I'm talking about here. He says, I'm talking about force-feeding the public an obvious agenda across the full spectrum of storytelling. These are not just movies. They're not just television shows. This is not just storytelling. This is brainwashing. And he says, Hollywood's not in the business of making art. They're not even in the business of making money anymore. Rather, they are in the business of indoctrination. And yes, it is a conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory, but conspiracy reality. Their job, he says, is to make the public believe that leftist ideals, or in some cases, globalist ideals, are the prevailing ideals. If you see the same lies every day in every manufactured depiction of life, you might start to think that your more rational, traditional, and grounded views are in the minority. You might begin to self-censor for the fear of being ridiculed. You might even join the other side just to avoid being attacked. In order to maintain control over the propaganda machine, a very important factor is ensuring that the faces on the screen are never allowed to deviate from the party line. So your puppet and pet celebrities need to be kept under lock and key. All right, we're going to come back to this in just a few moments again. This is an essay from Brandon Smith. It is published on alt-market.us. And yes, I will have a link to it in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. How Societies on, Are Imprisoned. It's titled, The Whole World Will One Day Be Like Hollywood. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a little love to my friends and my sponsors at Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. If you don't have a small business, you may not be very familiar with uh, commercial insurance. But let's suffice it to say, if you, if you know what's happening with your own insurance, uh, you know, at the homeowner's level, auto driver and so forth, life insurance and stuff, um, you, you may know a little bit. But when it gets to business, it gets complicated fast. And what you need to have versus what you don't really need, it's very easy to find yourself with some questions. This is where uh, Landmark Risk Management and Insurance has a team of very, very well-trained 
very qualified experts to help you navigate every bit of it and make sure that you're not paying more than you need to, but that you're not uncovered in ways you wouldn't want to be uncovered as well. So reach into uh, your heart, go to my website, visit my show notes, and uh, you'll see under the sponsors, Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. Just click on it. That'll put you in contact with them. Tell them thanks for sponsoring the show. So I'm sharing this, uh, this article from Brandon Smith, How Societies Are Imprisoned. The whole world will one day be like Hollywood. And look, I know some people will write this off as just, well, this just sounds like a bunch of people who just, you know, don't want, don't agree with Hollywood's message or they're, they're closed minded. They don't want to be inclusive. I tend to side more with what Brandon is saying here. And that is, this is a propaganda machine that is being used for the purpose of indoctrinating generations of Americans. And I mean, it's been going on for some time, but now there's nothing subtle. You know, the the woke messaging is everywhere. Every Hollywood remake, you know, people ask, okay, what's the social justice angle going to be? Every television show, the same kind of thing. Brandon Smith says, you know, they keep these these puppet and pet celebrities on a very, very short leash. You are not allowed to deviate from the party line and succeed in Hollywood. He says, like most people, I recently watched Ben Shapiro's interview with Gina Carano, and it basically confirmed everything I already knew about Hollywood. He says, my brief stint as a screenwriter 20 years ago exposed me to the underlying sellout culture, and I was repulsed by it. But he said what was striking, though, was the extent to which the Hollywood elites seek to rape the minds of their employees and force them to submit to the cult. It wasn't that Carano was fired for posting a historical fact on Twitter. It was everything that happened before that. He says, we see corporate diversity training, such as Coca-Cola's Be Less White seminars. By the way, just for clarification, I did see an apology from Coca-Cola Today posted online. And their excuse is they said, well, now, you know, we had a number of different training slides that were available at different uh, different levels of, you know, our, our corporate uh, online presence but you know that was actually supplied by a third party group it didn't really reflect the the ultimate uh, official corporate uh, policy of coca-cola but the idea was i don't know if you've seen it it's it's a it's a memo that says you know suggested ways to be less white and you know starting with that wonderful non-racist or non-skin color focused you know premise it goes on to list some things that, you know, supposedly would make a person more woke, more inclusive. So they're trying to walk it back. I don't know. It's not like, wow, this kind of thing is never heard of in corporate America. Frankly, corporate America has really jumped on the bandwagon. And why is that? Actually, uh, Brandon Smith has a pretty good take on this. He says, you know, you see these uh, these seminars like Coca-Cola's and we're disturbed by the cultism, the manipulation. But he says, you listen to Carano's story and you'll realize that Hollywood is far ahead in their exploitation of social justice controls. Carano mentions that as soon as she began speaking her mind from a conservative position, Disney and Lucasfilm bombarded her with representatives, publishing agents, etc., whose mission was to convince her to stay silent or apologize publicly for her personal statements. He says they even tried to force her to endure a mass admonition in front of 40 trans people because she refused to post her pronouns to her Twitter page. Now, this is often referred to as a struggle session in communist circles, a crucible used to berate and destroy people who dare step out of line. 
It's also used to strike fear in the hearts of anyone else who might be thinking about voicing independent views. Struggle sessions were the primary tactic used during the Cultural Revolution in China as a means to pacify the citizenry and erase all ideas that opposed Marxism. The movie Red Violin, produced in 1998, he says is one of the only films he's seen that accurately depicts the ravages of the communist social sterilization. And by the way, there is a link in the article, which itself is linked in today's show notes. That would be the notes for February 25th. And Brandon Smith says this is what happens when big business or government align with the leftist cult. Social justice warriors would have no power at all if it were not for the backing of banks or rather of corporations and government institutions. So he says, you want to know why so many celebrities these days seem desperate to virtue signal online all the time? It might not be because they agree with the leftists. They may just be trying to keep their jobs and avoid being suffocated by a weaponized mob. He says, what the interview with Gina Carano really revealed to me was the extent to which Hollywood corporations are involved in that mob. And companies like Disney aren't following the mob's lead. Instead, they are using the mob as a tool. They are leading the social justice cult the cult is not leading them, as many wrongly assume. Brandon Smith says, after finishing the Carano interview, I could not stop thinking about a show from the 1960s called The Prisoner, starring Patrick McGowan. It portrays a man who works for the government and abruptly quits, only to be kidnapped by a nefarious unknown organization and transported to a place called The Village. The village is a sprawling complex made to look like a happy seaside vacation town on the surface. But underneath it is a vast surveillance grid. All the people that live there are trapped, watched constantly, and the group that runs the village uses elaborate mind games to break the prisoners down. The village operates by turning prisoners into informants and guards. Its goal often has nothing to do with making people talk. Instead, the goal is to get prisoners to submit, to get them to love the village and become a part of it. See, the village isn't just a prison. The village is an experiment, a microcosm of what the elite want for the entire world. So under this model, what uh, Brandon Smith is suggesting is that Hollywood is the village. Corporate culture and Marxist culture are melding together until they're one and the same. The way Carano was essentially stalked by her own employers and prodded with struggle sessions and mind games, the way Hollywood operates behind the scenes is exactly what leftist and corporate elites intend for the rest of us. It's already happening to some extent. How often have we heard conservatives labeled as insurrectionists, terrorists, and racists in the past year alone? How many conservatives have been censored by big tech platforms? How many have lost their jobs because of their opinions or simply making factual statements? He says the social justice cult and the corporations that control them want the world to be Hollywood. They want that environment of oppression and fear to become the standard. In other words, they want everyone afraid to speak or to disagree or to step away from the agenda in any way. Everyone must play their part to perpetuate the fantasy world. Everyone must battle to appear virtuous and pure for the mob. Everyone is an actor, pretending they love their new totalitarian collective. But there's a huge weakness to this strategy. 
And he says, all of it depends on people's aversion to loss. If you're afraid to lose something, then that something can be used to control you. Karana was not afraid to lose, and so she could not be controlled. And he says, I commend her for that. The example she has set for others is far more valuable than any work she might have done by submitting to the Hollywood Cheka. If only the majority of people would do the same, our civilization could change for the better overnight. And he reminds us, all tyranny is an illusion predicated on fear within the minds of the enslaved. So do not fear. What a great article. Yes, you'll find it in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Stick around. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, lines are open, 801-331-8113, if you'd like to join the conversation. You do understand, I'm not encouraging anybody to go out there and be hateful or to be, you know, even a pain in the rear to somebody else. I don't think imposing yourself on somebody is, is a good way to get your message out there. I am suggesting, though, that uh, if you are serious about remaining a free thinking person, in other words, owning your own worldview, you got to draw some lines in the sand. And at some point, you're going to have to say, this is where I draw the line. I'm not going to go along with that. And it's going to be tough because there will be pressure brought to bear. You're going to be made to feel guilty. You're going to be made to feel out of step while you're the only person in the world who doesn't feel that way. And I don't know if there are many tests of one's principles harder than the one of feeling like I am completely on my own here. You know, uh, what was the joke? It was it was a movie. uh, Oh, it was a Tom Hanks movie about a a music. Anyway, there was a great there was a great line in there about, oh, there he goes again, working on his favorite song alone with my principles. But sometimes if you are a person of principle, you have got to be comfortable with being alone. Or even if you can't just be alone, uh, being scorned and opposed by the crowd. I'm not saying anybody needs to go out there and seek it. I'm just saying if you live up to your principles, it's going to happen. It's a natural consequence. And you just have to understand it doesn't make you wrong just because it hurts and the crowd is mocking you or otherwise, you know, trying to ostracize you. History is so full of examples of people who have had to do this. And, and here's the kicker, at least for me. When I look at the most inspiring figures from history, and I mean the people who changed the course of a society, a community, a nation, or just how, how a whole movement of people would think. It almost always comes down to someone who placed their love of truth on which they based their principles above the need for acceptance from the crowd. It was mavericks. It was heretics that have moved us in the best directions. So I know it's, it doesn't make it any more fun to be one, but, uh, but if you're going to be, at least understand you're in good company. There aren't a lot of you, but, uh, but you are in good company. So I have discovered 
that I am actually part of the gig economy. In fact, I'm kind of a proud member of the gig economy. I have the utmost respect for anyone who chooses this entrepreneurial path. And I didn't watch the Super Bowl, but apparently Dolly Parton had uh, quite an advertisement that was aired during the Super Bowl. And it's drawn the ire of some people who apparently are not fans of the gig economy. A little too much autonomy there. A little too much freedom on the part of people, well, like, like me, among others. Brad Palumbo, writing for the Foundation for Economic Education, has a great piece about Dolly Parton and her powerful message about the American dream and what her critics get wrong. Now, again, I didn't watch the Super Bowl, but um, if you did, you probably saw that she worked with website provider Squarespace to produce a commercial which aired during the Super Bowl. And Dolly is, is kind of a, she's America's sweetheart and has been for as long as I can remember. She's done decades of charitable work, points out Brad Palumbo, uh, including a recent million-dollar donation to fund the hugely successful Moderna COVID vaccine. In fact, uh, they, they offered to make a statue or to, to uh, erect a statue of her there at the Tennessee State Capitol. And she very tactfully suggested, you know what, not while I'm alive. She says, there are a lot of people out there who work hard to make a difference, and, and I want to honor them. And she says, and someday after I'm gone, if you guys want to come back together and evaluate whether, you know, having a statue of me would, uh, would represent well on the people of Tennessee, then, yeah, I'd be okay with that. But she graces, she's not looking for accolades. She's not looking for another spotlight. As, as Brad Palumbo puts it, um, this recent decision of hers to decline that statue offers a masterclass in humility and grace. But there are still people upset with her, and here's why. Parton worked with website uh, provider Squarespace to produce a commercial which aired during the Super Bowl. Now, the advertisement updates her classic song, 9 to 5, to 5 to 9, depicting several board office workers stuck at their day jobs who then, using Squarespace to make their websites, work after hours to launch freelance, independent businesses. One woman starts offering dance fitness lessons, a man markets his paintings, and more as the various individuals are able to turn their gigs or their side hustles into fulfilling full-time work. Working, nine, working five to nine, you've got passion and a vision, Parton sings, because it's hustling time. Whole new way to make a living. Going to change your life. Do something that gives it meaning. And she continues, continue with the, she continues with a website that is worthy of your dreaming. They've actually got a link to the, to the ad here in the article. But when you hear her critics, whew, they did not see this as anything positive or uplifting. Several prominent left-leaning critics of the gig economy, while acknowledging their general affection for Parton, savaged her commercial in the message it sent. Writing for Newsweek, socialist, Newsweek rather, socialist writer and journalist David Sirota decried the advertisement's message as dystopian, propaganda, and reflective of an insane ideology. He asks, why do we tolerate or even celebrate the idea that a second or third job and a 12-hour day is necessary just to subsist? And, of course, others piled on. Uh, Parton's silvery voice is being used to promote the false virtues of working overtime when so many gig economy workers are barely scraping by and the tech companies who employ but misclassify them are raking in boffo products. Profits, rather, uh, Kim Kelly wrote in an op-ed for NBC News. 
The gig economy is a wretched alternative to a stable paycheck and proper benefits, and efforts to paint it as a matter of independence or being one's own boss downplay how hard it is for so many gig workers to make ends meet. Kelly concluded it's not fun or empowering to juggle multiple jobs. It's an indictment of a system in which people aren't paid fairly and workers are squeezed down to the last drop of energy. I'm sure somewhere if I were to look in that article, I would find the words, Workers of the world, unite! No? Okay, well, I think it's implied, at least at some point. So Brad Palumbo says, here's what the critics get wrong. He says, Pardon's critics, who are really just critics of the gig economy and capitalism generally, are wrong on the facts from the get-go. The premise of their argument is that the workers depicted have to work side hustles to pay their bills and make ends meet. But that's not actually what the ad depicts. Rather, it shows workers who are disillusioned and bored with their day jobs, so they chase their true dreams after hours. Secondly, the critics ignore that most people aren't forced to work in the gig economy, whether it's driving for Uber, delivering groceries for Instacart, or what have you. But rather, they choose to do so because they value the flexibility the work provides. More than 70% of 1099M gig workers say they are working independently by their own choice, not because they can't find a 9-to-5 job. That's according to Forbes. So the reality is, independent work can provide personal fulfillment and a good income, whether it be part-time or full-time. According to a 2019 survey, a whopping 40% of gig economy workers earn more than $100,000 annually. Another 35.7% make from $50,000 to $100,000. That sounds like a far cry from being a wretched alternative to a stable paycheck and proper benefits. And of course, being your own boss choosing which projects to accept, and having a flexible schedule are pretty darn attractive perks. Brad Palumbo says fundamentally working in the gig economy is a voluntary decision that many Americans engage in after weighing the costs and benefits compared to typical 9-to-5 work. Freelancers are willing to come up with some of the security of standard employment, predictable income, health insurance, retirement benefits in exchange for independence. I'm sorry, they're willing to give up some of those things in exchange for independence. That's according to Dan Sanchez, Laura Williams, and Jen Mafasanti uh, in an article they wrote for Fee.org. And Brad Palumbo says critics who oppose the gig economy and seek to restrict it under the law would take people's choices and options and paychecks away in the name of helping them. Helping is rightly in quotes. See, Pardon's powerful message is really about opportunity and entrepreneurship. And and those who are upset about the commercial misunderstand this. It's not about necessity or it's not about non-passion subsistence overtime work. It's about opportunity, entrepreneurship and the virtues that come from expanding the opportunity to pursue entrepreneurship to more people. I like that. In a free market capitalist system where we still have to some extent, which we still have to some extent here in America, not just the wealthy, anyone can start a business or trade and pursue their dreams. I'll have a link to Brad Palumbo's article in the show notes, which you will find at the com. I will tell you this, it it took me an awful long time. I was uh, last year's old (laughs) when I figured out it was time to step into the gig economy. And it has its ups and downs. 
but I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I don't want somebody to legislate me out of it either. Hands off. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to finish up a couple more thoughts on this article by Brad Palumbo from the Foundation for Economic Education about uh, Dolly Parton's powerful message about the American dream and what her critics get wrong. The ad that apparently aired during the Super Bowl depicted even average disillusioned office workers have access to starting their own businesses and escaping the drudgery of traditional nine to fives that don't suit them. And Brad points out in a free market, you don't need powerful political connections to get approval to start a business like you would in a socialist system or enormous resources to lobby and climb regulatory hurdles you need in a highly regulated government distorted market system. In fact, he says the digital age has made starting a a business more accessible for average Americans than ever before. In the past, you need a lot more startup capital, including a storefront. Well, that's no longer the case, thanks to the Internet and a proliferation of relatively low-cost e-commerce services. Site builders like Squarespace, I'm sorry, Squarespace, payment processors like Stripe and online marketplaces provided by eBay, Amazon, Etsy, and so on. Now, just like the ad shows, any American with an iPhone and a vision can become an entrepreneur, at least in many circumstances and industries. This is only possible due to relatively low regulatory hurdles to starting a business in America, although there seem to remain many needless barriers that need to be taken down, especially compared to many other countries where starting a legal business first means trudging through a thicket of red tape. He says our system still offers everyday people the chance to pursue their dreams, work flexibly, and make extra income. And in doing so, they create wealth and opportunities for others. Small businesses provide nearly half the jobs in the U.S. So no, Brad Palumbo says, Parton's Squarespace ad was not in any way meant to celebrate exploitation or poor working combinations. It was intended to honor the virtue of opportunity and entrepreneurship in a free market economy. Those are values that remain relatively uncontroversial among most Americans. And that's the reason it made anti-capitalist critics on the left so angry. I totally agree. I'm with him on this. And, you know, you may consider yourself an old dog. I'm not up to learning new tricks, Brian. I don't really know if I want to look into this gig economy. I'm not saying that you should. I'm just saying I'm very grateful that there is an alternative where people can do this. Look, I have family members who, for one reason or another, have had to adjust to, to the new reality of the COVID uh, you know, economy, businesses being shut down, small businesses especially taking the brunt of it. And I have friends who, um, and family who you know, do DoorDash deliveries. Some of them just flat out deliver pizzas. Myself, I work in a retail establishment, you know, once a week and just I do so not because I absolutely have to. And by the way, that's not that's not a gig economy there. Uh, that's like a legit, uh, you know, show up and, and, and work at it kind of job. 
but I'm doing that so that I can build my presence in the gig economy, which is what I actually do when I work from home. It's what I, this is what I'm doing right now, speaking into this mic. I do voiceovers. I do audio production. I do writing. All of those things. And yeah, you know, when you do it on a piecemeal basis, it's not nearly as secure as, well, I'll just sit back and collect those paychecks twice a month and know that my insurance benefits are covered by law, that there's some retirement, you know, being provided by law and whatnot. I I don't worry about that. And it's a little bit tougher in some ways. There, There's more hustle involved. I don't care. Because I see the independence. My friends have told me about it for years. It's a hard step to take. I'm just I'm just going to add my voice to those who have said it's worth it, though. Whatever you're giving up in terms of that, that sense of security that I will always have this check at this time on this date. Is more than made up for in the potential for you to really do what resonates with you. And when it all comes down to it, when you consider how much our lives are spent working, could we at least agree that it's a happy thing when you can find a way to to take something that gives you purpose and that, that provides joy and satisfaction to you and monetize it. In other words, use it to create value so that other people will pay you to do it. That's a remarkable thing. And I, I just love that the gig economy exists. And I also understand that for the control freaks, especially those within the political class, it's an almost intolerable thing to see because it gives people options. They're not dependent on working just for a business and having to toe that line of, you know, how woke are you? People in the gig economy aren't as dependent on those cultural norms that are currently being forced down our throats by most of the big corporate players. I don't know. Maybe that sounds really antisocial to me. It just sounds like, well, you know, given the choice of living under the boot of, you know, the politically correct uh, commissars who are sent out to every company to make sure that everybody's properly sensitive, sensitive and, and trained and, you know, not microaggressing against one another. Maybe they just don't want to have to deal with it. Maybe it's troubling to those of a controlling nature to see that some of the fish have slipped through the net and are actually swimming quite well on their own and creating new ways for more fish to go and swim on their own. See, I'm trying to see the glasses half full. They clearly see it as half empty or half not under control, either of which is likely intolerable to them. I think about California and what was their bill, AB5. Every, uh, you know, every company that hires you as a freelancer has to treat you like an employee. Now, thankfully, a good portion of that law was walked back after last November's election simply because the electorate stepped up and said, no, (laughs) this is not good. And they wanted key parts of it trimmed back. But boy, those bureaucrats in the state of California, they were they were ready to force it on everybody. Nope. You have to take this person on as an employee to which the businesses do what? Well, if it's something that is even negotiable. Do we have to do this? Is it going to increase our, our labor costs by how much? Let's just eliminate the job. Which may sound like, you know, uh, maybe it sounds like, well, they're not playing fair. They're just taking their ball and going home. But no, they're trying to do they're trying to stay profitable. They're trying to stay in business. They're trying to get things accomplished. But they're they're trying to do it in a way that isn't being forced on them by government. 
And when government mandates things, assuming, well, since you're a rich businessman or woman, you'll just pick up the, the tab here. It doesn't work that way. And the people it's supposed to be helping, right, the employees, the ones who otherwise would be getting exploited, well, look at all these benefits we mandated for you. Yeah, those benefits don't do me any good when you mandate them and then the employer says, I'm sorry, I have to eliminate this job entirely. See, it's stuff like this that just makes me an even bigger believer in the free market, by which I mean a market that is not regulated or monkeyed with or toyed with or controlled by people even with the best of intentions. That allows the consumers to make that crucial decision as to where that uh, where their goods and where their capital will be allocated. They know what's in their best interests way better than any bureaucrat ever will. All right. One final article I wanted to touch on. Not going to have a lot of time to talk about this one, but I really would recommend please read it. This is from the American Institute for Economic Research, and it talks about the risk that the covidocracy might become permanent. Michael Fomento is the author of this piece, How to Beat the Permanent Covidocracy. And when we talk about the covidocracy, please understand, it's not just a pithy saying of, uh, you know, we're calling you names. This is the bureaucracy that has settled upon us over the last year in which you have various elected and a lot of unelected officials making plans about masks and about hand washing and about social distancing, which businesses can stay open, which ones have to close. How do we do this? How do we make things, uh, you know, uniform? Unfortunately, they've caused an awful lot of damage. And it's only now that it's becoming clear that all of the harsh lockdown procedures didn't stop the spread of the virus. It can't. Viruses don't work that way. They don't pay attention to public policy. And when you look at the infection rates and and the number of people hospitalized, it looks so similar. It follows a very predictable curve, whether you're talking about an area that had very strict lockdown protocols or ones that did not. But the bottom line is people have assumed control where they really shouldn't have. And the question now remains, will we allow that to continue? Are we still going to hang on every word that Dr. Fauci says? See, I stopped taking him seriously a long time ago. That doesn't mean I think ill of him. It just means he has nothing of value to contribute to me, especially when he's telling me, by the way, you need to wear two masks through the end of next year. No, thanks. I'll weigh the risks and make my own decisions. Thank you. This is The Brian Hyde Show.